Coming up on Word Matters, what's old is new again, and the and symbol. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Even if you haven't heard the word for them, you encounter them on a regular basis. Think black coffee or acoustic guitar. It's when a new term gets created to refer to the older, original version of a thing. I'll explain. A retronym is a term that's created or adopted to distinguish the original or older version of something from another more recent version. So a classic example is acoustic guitar. There was no need for the term acoustic guitar until there was such a thing as an electric guitar. Similar to film camera, there was no need to refer to a film camera until there was such a thing as a digital camera. So the word retronym was coined by Frank Mankiewicz, who's an American journalist and former president of NPR. And he apparently kept an extensive list of retronyms, having not just coined the word, but also being a great collector of retronyms. We don't have his list, but I have a list of my own. Often they are a compound term like acoustic guitar, but not always. And they're often technologically related. But if you start thinking about retronyms, it's actually a very, very broad category. For example, whole milk. There was never any whole milk until you had skim milk, until you had 2% milk, and then you have whole milk. Food terms are a wealthy source of retronyms. Do you all have any favorite retronyms? Regular coffee, right? (laughs) Yeah, regular coffee is a good one. Yeah. An old one that they don't really need anymore was leaded gasoline. Oh, right. right. Leaded gasoline, until unleaded gasoline became a thing, they needed to distinguish those two. I suppose we say meat lasagna. Sure. Yeah, Uh, meat lasagna, black tea. Oh, yeah, sure. For example, right? Whole wheat bread. Of course. It used to be all whole wheat bread. Then you also have, there are a lot of sports terms too. You can have outdoor rock climbing (laughs) because you used to have indoor rock climbing. Cloth diaper is another Mm -hmm. one. Analog watch is a commonly considered one as opposed to, you know, when you have a digital watch. Also, scripted show, that term only came into use after we had such a thing as a reality show. Oh, right. Right. I think my very favorite retronym, though, is British English. Ah, of course. <laughs> yes. That's a nice one. No such thing as British English until we had something that was not British English. Do you have a least favorite retronym? Oh, oh, that's a good question. All right. My least favorite retronym, I think, is probably old world. I don't like the old world, new world distinction. Once the new world was quote unquote discovered, then you had to have an old world. Oh, yeah. I never even thought of that. We use that all the time. But even like live music. Music used to always be live. Oh, another food one, corn on the cob. Because it was available in cans or something not on the cob. Because somebody thought to cut it off the cob. Right, right, right. right. It was first on the cob. Then you would just call it corn. This is a rich source of vocabulary. (laughs) It's funny how retronyms can, in a way, point out a discrepancy you don't think of. But then sometimes... The discrepancy isn't one you necessarily want to acknowledge. Like, for example, I live in Massachusetts and I am an avid candle pin bowler. And so I will tell people this and they will say, well, how is that different from regular bowling or real bowling? And by regular bowling, they mean 10 pin bowling, which is more popular in the rest of the country. But they don't say 10 pin bowling. They say 
regular bowling. Mm. It was this normal thing for them. And then Candlepin is this outlier that is somehow foreign and different to which they are being introduced by the conversation. But the regular well is a typical retronymic form. Regular. Right. Regular and is. real, too. Yeah. Yep. Real, regular, natural also. Free range chicken, right? All chicken <laughs> used to be free range. Until so we introduced the fence. <laughs> right. Free range right. children is, is, is another <laughs> yeah. one that has come up a lot lately. Right. Also natural versus fake. So yes. my natural nails. We used to oh, think right, of nails. Right, they you were... all probably don't wear fake nails. No. But if you did, then you would distinguish between natural nails and fake nails. Here's one I thought of not too long ago is natural light. Oh, yeah. That's I'm not one. talking about the beer. Oh, There's a beer, Natty Light. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. I'm talking about, right. I'm talking about right. natural light versus electric light or so artificial light. You've made me think since so many of these are food-based and there's this increasingly prevalent number of plant-based meats. Is this going to lead to a new, even more fertile area of retronyms to distinguish meat meat from yeah. plant-based meat? Right, As right. There's going to be animal-based meat. But right. what you just did right now, this meat meat, right? We also use that duplicative process in a kind of retronymic function. For a long time done that. You don't say, you know, plant-based meat versus meat meat. In other words, it's kind of emphatic. Right. right. But the retronyms do that in a more precise way. Of course. You, you could also say, do you like decaf coffee or do you like coffee coffee? Right. So it's like trying to like reestablish this traditional idea yes. of meat or coffee. Which is interesting that, because the original sense of meat was just food or drink. It was not actually. It was everything. It wasn't meat meat. Yeah. It was food <laughs> meat as opposed to meat meat. And I feel like we're going to get into meat 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 to like really distinguish meat meat from meat meat meat. Yeah, it's a matter of gradation. Don't get that bread. No, I want a baguette baguette or I want a chocolate chocolate. Identifying one as being superior or more traditional. traditional. Yeah, exactly. And right. then there's technological ones like rotary phone, of course, which we have to identify because a phone now is something else. That one had sort of duplicate in two different waves of retronymic action because you had push button phones oh, that right. then caused rotary phones to become distinct. And then we had cell phones, which then caused landline phones to become distinct. Oh, right. And, and then true. we had smartphones, which yes. caused flip phones to be <laughs> a distinct thing. Right. That's a technology that has just like created this whole like staircase of different retro And even before the rotary phone, we had phones which were much closer to Siri in that you would just pick up the receiver and tell the operator who you wanted to speak to. Whose name might have been Siri. Could have been Siri. We don't know. I think my favorite is manual transmission. That See? must be a retronym. It has to be. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. There was one instance where I expected a retronym to take hold, and I never heard it, and I was sort of disappointed, maybe because the trend didn't last long enough. But a few years ago, you would see advertised hot yoga, which it was like conducted in this hot environment, I guess. So it was like this distinct thing, this special kind of yoga, but they never said cold yoga <laughs> to distinguish it. Room temperature Lukewarm. yoga, tepid yoga, none of those are going to work in your marketing materials. That's for Lukewarm sure. yoga. To go back to the duplicative retronymic function of like, I want chocolate chocolate or I want mm. coffee coffee, that doesn't really work in print. Right. It really requires the intonation behind it. That's where the distinction is. Otherwise, it's what's it's, coffee coffee. Sometimes I feel like you do see it with kind of quotes for emphasis around the first one. It does feel like it's making an attempt. I agree with you that it does feel like putting the stress on the first iteration of the word works much better. In speech, I feel like people try to put single quotes around the word with their saying chocolate, chocolate. Yes, I have seen that. That's right. But a retronym can be a more formal term 
a more technical term. It can be the kind of term that you can put on an invoice if you want to stock your grocery store with something. You can't just say milk, milk on your grocery store invoice if you are trying to stock your grocery store. You're going to have to say whole milk. (laughs) Emily, have you ever come across somebody, whether at a cocktail party or a dinner party or just shopping in the grocery store, who likewise has this passion, this affinity for retronyms? Have you ever gotten into a retronym off with somebody (laughs) where you like start one-upping each other? I haven't. No. I try to keep it to myself. It's... (laughs) A little embarrassing. It's kind of like the definition of a gentleman. Somebody knows how to play the accordion but doesn't. So we can (laughs) rework that of what is a gentlewoman, someone who knows a lot of retronyms but doesn't say them out. (laughs) You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after the break with the history of the and symbol. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Neil Servin. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. If you were learning your ABCs a couple centuries ago, your recitations wouldn't have ended at Z. They would have included a 27th letter the ampersand. You know, the elegant pretzel symbol above the seven on your keyboard. I'll tell the tale of this unique character and its name. The English alphabet was not always 26 letters long. Oh my goodness, I did not know. There used to be a 27th letter, except it wasn't really a letter. It was a symbol. It was the ampersand. If you look at your keyboard, you hit shift and you hit a seven, you get this beautiful kind of S-y, backwards S-y looking letter symbol ampersand. And it, of course, means and. And it was the 27th letter of the alphabet. Did it come between Y and Z? It came after Z. Uh, came after Z. So if you were reciting your alphabet XYZ, then you would have to say ampersand. And this fact actually provides the etymology of the word ampersand. In the 19th century, when teaching children how to say the letters of the alphabet, that you would say the name of the letter, and then you would say by itself and the name of the letter again. So the letter A would be A by itself, A, except that instead of by itself, they used the Latin phrase per se. So when you said the letters of the alphabet, you would say A per se, A, because A is used as a word by itself also. And then you would say B, C, D, etc. You got to I, you would say I per se, I. When you got to the 27th letter of the alphabet... This letter was actually the symbol that means and, and so children were taught to say and per se and. So they were speaking the sound of that character. That's right. They were basically translating. The word and actually was considered a letter of the alphabet, which is bizarre. So they would say and per se and, and by itself and. 
was the term that they would use to refer to that symbol, which was this 27th letter of the alphabet. And that over time got mashed up and mangled and massaged until it became ampersand. And that is where we got the word ampersand. So the percent only affected the and at the end of the alphabet that they've been taught and not the other letters that they were then appending the per se to, right? That's right. Apparently those got dropped along the way, probably okay. because they would encounter them when they were doing spelling or writing, right? You would spell out a word like bite and B-I-T-E. You wouldn't say I by itself, I or I per se, I, as I'm guessing on that. But it seems very clear that there would be occasion to refer to these other letters in more context than there were to refer to the ampersand the symbol ampersand is far older than this. The symbol ampersand, this is very interesting. Keith Houston wrote a book a few years ago called Shady Characters. And the subtitle is The Secret Life of Punctuation, Symbols, and Other Typographical Marks. And he tells the story of the symbol of the ampersand, which is really fascinating. The ampersand was again, not the word ampersand, but the actual idea of a symbol for the ampersand dates back to Cicero's servant or slave come secretary. He was no longer an enslaved person, but was Cicero's secretary. And he came up with a shorthand system. And he had a single symbol that was used to mean and. But that is not thought to be the forebear of our ampersand symbol. Instead, there is this symbol that was found in ruins of Pompeii that is thought to be the earliest example of the thing that later turned into the ampersand. Wow. I'm amazed it didn't become a, a symbol of bad luck. <laughs> well, the symbol wasn't recovered. The Pompeian forebear was not discovered until long after oh, the true. ampersand had already become established, right? It was kind of like, wow, I guess this goes all the way back to here. But used in a context in which it looked like it stood for and. That's right. Wow. There was a 20th century typographer named Jan Tichold. And he is credited with having traced all of the various iterations of the symbol that is now what we see on our seven key on our keyboards and traced them all the way back to this Pompeian symbol that was scrawled. It was graffiti. It was a graffito, <laughs> probably scrawled very hastily. And yet it is what has now become this elegant swooping character that we all know and love. And the character that began it all, as well as many of the earlier versions, is what would properly be called a ligature. It's a symbol that joins two letters together, in this case, E and T, for the Latin word et. It's funny that, for one thing, that the ampersand, the word and, the concept of and, was taught alongside letters. And so to, to be a part of the alphabet is sort of interesting. I mean, you think of, we have other symbols now that we don't really regard as punctuation. We regard them as symbols, and they have their own names, like the interrobang or the at sign or the pound sign, which has a number of names like Octothorpe. And we would not think of those as alphabetic characters at all, right? That's right. Oh, and here's an interesting aside. Ampersat has been proposed as a term for the at symbol. I think that would be a good one. When you think of the Roman origin of this, I think of the term et cetera and how sometimes you see mm -hmm. that rendered with the ampersand and the C because, of course, the et in et cetera means and, yeah. it is and the rest, it sometimes gets rendered with the ampersand and then a C period. Yeah, I always feel somehow hardened when I come across that. I like that convention. Oh, I like it. There's another convention, a printing convention, early modern printing, I think even in Johnson's Dictionary, even in Webster's Dictionary, of just using the ampersand. Because at this time, of course, they were using a slug for every single character, and it probably was simpler to use the 
ampersand for the frequent use of the word and rather than three slugs, you just use one. That's right. The efficiency of the symbol is key. And key to its success. And of course, we still use it today, but we're not always as sensitive to space or the difficulty of typesetting (laughs) as we were then. And when you're handwriting something, I mean, I can't say I go to the ampersand. It's not the easiest character to make. I tend to do this like plus sign that is sort of like has a loop. So it's like not just a plus. I think I kind of make a backward three, like a curvy capital E, and then put a straight line through it like a dollar sign. I think that's how I do my ands. That is way more fancy than I think most people do, Peter. I, I must have got it somewhere, but it's because I can't quite render the character as, as it classically is formed. In college, I remember taking a introductory logic class. I remember somebody in the class asking if we had to make an ampersand. You know, it's used in the language of symbolic logic. And the professor said, yes, you do. You can practice this, and then you will learn it, and then you will know how to do it. You may not use any other kind of symbol. You have to learn how to make this Whoa. ampersand symbol. So so we did. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's my evening's plans all laid out. <laughs> Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.